Number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine. Welcome to Project 99. Today is December 4th, 2019. And to start this podcast off, well, first I'll let Mick say hello. Hello, and that was the creepiest music ever. Like, it totally sets the the scene for Revolution 9. What we're going to talk about today. Yes, before we start on our main topic today, I wanted to touch on um, a subject because it's kind of a this day in history type thing um, that I wasn't aware of until today. Um, Saw someone posting about it, so I thought it was worth mentioning, especially with the subject matter that we're going to talk about. So this is about uh, Fred Hampton and the FBI and the Chicago Police Department's assassination on him they worked together and assassinated him he was the chairman um in the black panther movement um so i have this page i brought up directly from the national archives archives archives.gov i'm just going to read this little bit about him because i feel like they sum it up really well and it's extremely factual so uh fred hampton born in august 30th 1948 in suburban illinois Goes on about his background a little bit. Um, Comes down to when he became the leader of the Chicago chapter, and he organized rallies working with the People's Clinic and the Free Breakfast Program. Uh, Says, with the action of COINTEL pro-operation decimating the party's leadership, Hampton became next in line to be appointed the Central Committee Chief of Staff of the Black Panther Party, also marking him as a person of interest to the FBI. So the FBI convinced a criminal, William O'Neill, to infiltrate the party and get close to Hampton, and he succeeded and joined the party, acting as his bodyguard um, and director of chapter security. And at the instruction of J. Edgar Hoover, he worked to undermine the coalitions that Hampton had created amongst the neighborhood gangs and organizations, which caused a major rift and uh, created distrust of the Black Panthers. So on the evening of December 3rd, 1969, O'Neill slipped a powerful sleeping drug into Hampton's drink and then left. Officers were dispatched to raid his apartment. They stormed in, opening fire, killing Mark Clark, acting as a security guard, and then they opened fire on Hampton's bedroom where he laid unconscious from the drug. Despite the intense round of fire, Hampton and his pregnant fiancée were only wounded, and upon that discovery, an officer shot him twice in the head and killed him. The remaining seven Panthers that were present in the apartment were all arrested and indicted on a grand jury on charges of attempted murder, armed violence, and a variety of weapons charges. But these charges were later dropped after the Department of Justice investigation discovered that Chicago police fired 99 shots while mm-hmm. the Panthers only shot twice. Um, and then it says a short time later, there was a break in at an FBI field office in Pennsylvania where COINTEL Pro documents were discovered in the cache of documents, including a floor plan of Hampton's apartment and an outline of the deal to conceal the FBI's role in the assassination of Hampton. In 1970, the survivors and the relatives of Hampton sued the federal and local governments for $47.7 million, stating their civil rights were violated, but the case was dismissed. After it was determined that the government withheld relevant documents and obstructed the judicial process, a news trial was held in 1979. And in 82, Cook County and the federal government agreed to a settlement of $1.85 million. Um, so... Way to have your mind blown, but I mean, not that everyone here at Project 99 doesn't already have distrust in the FBI and CAA, but uh, I mean, this was just in 1969. Yeah. I mean, this is just, this is a huge part of history, I feel like, for uh, the black community. And, you know, we learned about Martin Luther King being assassinated, but I had never heard of this. Right. A lot of people don't know about the suicide letter, too. Um, the. Hoover FBI kept files on everybody, anybody and everybody. Um, it was kind of a blackmail situation. If somebody became too loud of a pacifist against the war, if they, you know, whatever, whatever you did that they didn't like, they wanted to have power of you. So they spied on everybody. Uh, it was completely unchecked. And uh, apparently they wiretapped Martin Luther King and caught him in some kind of uh, sexual 
if he was having an affair or some kind of indiscretion. And so they sent the tape recording to his wife and uh, threatened to come out uh, with this information. Of course, it wasn't as the FBI. It was an anonymous letter, but, um, you know, they they basically wanted him to kill himself. And when you read the letter, it's clear that they're saying, like, do the right thing or whatever, giving him the chance to. And that was their way of trying to get him to assassinate himself. I mean, the, the complete dirty, disgusting, horrible criminal activity that went on in the name of government is just, it seems like it never ends. I mean, the, cra- the craziest part about it is, too, is that, I mean, that's just not even that long ago. Right. at all and mm-hmm. it's it just blows my mind that when people people treat you like you're insane when you say you don't trust the government you don't trust the fbi you don't trust the cia like they're all crooked and they've got a history of being crooked and people are like wow you're a real nut and it's like no i'm not like no. I just mm-hmm. i just know about these things like it never um it never shocks me i mean just the every every day i feel like i learn something new and it's just just more and more awful and i it terrifies me now to think that, you know, in 30, 40 years from now, what are we going to find out that's going on right now that we have no idea? Right, because the funny thing is they want you, they want you to think that, oh, we've cleaned up our act now. Right, well, people yeah. in the 70s probably thought they had cleaned up their act right. from the shit they were doing in the 40s and 50s, but clearly right. um, they haven't. And actually, they started using the term conspiracy theorist after the assassination of JFK to discredit people who questioned the official narrative because... Again, they were trying to cover their tracks. And when you tell such a ridiculous story to people to where, like the Epstein thing, and it's, and it's so obviously on its face a bullshit story, and they have to find some way to shut down the criticism of the narrative. So they just started saying, you know, let's ca- start calling these people conspiracy theorists so we can write them off. But I think now the tide has turned to where most people acknowledge that the government is corrupt and it does things in secret and it always has and it probably always will. So that kind of leads us into what we're talking about today. Yeah, I just got to say I like stories, you know, I like to educate people about stories like that because like I said, I never knew about that. I just learned out about today, but it is a, you know, a verified story that they got caught and then sued. Sure. The FBI was caught red handed. They assassinated him. And it's shocking when you look at what has been released. Documents have been released, and it's all out there. You know, you can find out what, what all, the, all the really unbelievable things our government's done. And, you know, like we said at our very first episode, we're not anti-American. We're the most patriotic people ever. It's the fact that our government has been controlled and stolen by evil people. We want it back. <laughs> we don't want these things being done in our name with our tax dollars you know right yeah that's the most disgusting thing about it is it's just you know in the in the subject matter we're about to go over all of this funding you know comes from people's tax dollars and it's just awful like you feel like you have a hand in it you know what i mean well obviously not us because time period difference but you know you think that so anyway on to our main subject matter which today is going to be project mk ultra um so a little bit different. It's not the FBI, it's the CIA, which if you ask me, a totally different conspiracy theory that we won't dive into today, but I think that's why JFK was assassinated because he wanted to do away with the CIA. Right. I think yeah. that's what, I think mm-hmm. that's why. But um, a lot of people talk about his opinions on the Federal Reserve and this and that and the other, but I think it was just directly linked to the fact that he wanted to get rid of the CIA. Well, Alan Dulles, who uh, we're going to talk a lot about today because he was kind of in charge of the cia at the time he was Uh, the yeah he's the director cia at the time he uh was fired by jfk after the bay of pigs invasion because uh you know when jfk came into office he kept alan dulles at the cia but jfk had a different philosophy than the dulles and uh, yeah jfk wasn't a crooked piece of shit that's the difference there (laughs) yeah they were major corporatists the dulles brothers they had worked for corporations all along and you know, they every basically every government overthrow that happened under their watch was at the behest of a corporation. That that's the long and short of it. It was all about profit. It was all about giving corporate America what it wanted, and so we literally overthrew governments for that reason. And uh, JFK, you know, kind of had a different philosophy about it. He thought people really did have the right to independently govern their own countries, and uh, that was kind of in conflict with 
with Dulles and the, you know the Bay of Pigs invasion was planned before JFK came into office and they kind of told him you know listen we already planned this invasion and this is what's going to happen and uh you know JFK didn't stop it but he told him I absolutely will not send the military to save you if this goes bad but they thought that if it went bad enough that he would and we would invade Cuba and he didn't and so what resulted from it was Alan Dulles got chit canned and then you know Kennedy gets assassinated (laughs) right yeah it's pretty clear it's a pretty clear connection there and honestly I feel like the assassination of JFK was the nail in the coffin of our last hope to ever stop this kind of corruption and I think his assassination is the the key point in history where it all just went rampant because I think I think the people that knew and they know what goes on it's just kind of a message that you know it's we're too big now and you can't stop us you know right. what I mean? we'll kill the fucking president we don't right. care like exactly <laughs> yeah they they actually the military and the cia they believed before kennedy came in there that he was irrelevant the president right. was irrelevant right. they were in charge of things they were going to run things the way they wanted and when he had the audacity to try to put a leash on them you know he was assassinated so anyway i guess on to our main subject matter like i said is mk ultra and um Man, I don't even know where to start with this one. We've got we've got a whole whiteboard. We got like two notebooks full. <laughs> it's just insane. Um, it's like a spider web of things. But like we said, um, started with Alan Dulles signing off on MK Ultra. But before that, preceding MK Ultra, there were two other projects. Uh, Project Bluebird, which then uh, transformed into Project Artichoke that were all basically the same thing. They were all focused around um, quote-unquote hypnosis, which they called um, special you know, interrogation methods, but it was hypnosis, and they used uh, what they called truth serums on them. They put people in isolation. Um, basically, like, mind control is what they were doing. They wanted, to, they wanted to experiment with a couple different things. First of all, they wanted to find out if they could force people to confess and tell the truth so that was one part of it was if we capture somebody how can we get the truth out of them and by they and we we mean the cia if that's the not cia clear. yes <laughs> um and then also when our soldiers are captured is there some way that we could prevent them even if they're tortured from telling the information that they know so part of what they wanted to do was to find out if they could create a split personality a jekyll and hyde so that they could tell Jekyll, hey, you're going to go to France and you're going to deliver this piece of mail to so-and-so over there at the embassy. And then once the person gets there, the person at the embassy says a code word and switches the person over to Hyde now, the other personality, and then they convey a secret message to that Hyde person and then say another code word and turn them back into Jekyll so that that person in and of themselves wouldn't really know that they were conveying the secret information. They would think, oh, I went to France and I delivered a piece of innocuous mail. They wouldn't even know. So if they were captured and tortured, they wouldn't even be able to release the information because it would be so buried in their subconscious. So that was another thing. Um, The third thing they thought about was uh, controlling behavior. So they wanted to be able to program a person to commit an assassination or do something basically against their own nature um, see if they could actually program a person to carry out an act that would be against their own nature to do that act. One of the really strange things I read was about experiments with homosexuality because they, they use these various methods of drugging and electroshock therapy, all kinds of different things. But one of the things they did was they would put electrodes in the brain and they would stimulate the different areas of the brain to try to figure out where they could cause like arousal and happy feelings. And then they would have um, someone who was a professed homosexual watch straight porn, basically, and try to get that. Uh, they would use the electrical stimulus in this probe that was in their brain to try to get the two things matched up. So right, you're watching straight porn like a... and then you feel an arousal and then classical conditioning. Right, like Pavlov's dog. Like, basically, you're going to see this woman, and then every time you're going to see her, you're going to feel arousal, so therefore you'll turn straight. And it's so bizarre to think that of all these things that they did to people, like these horrible experiments, many of them were done 
to people against their own will uh, tortures things, really. The one, one woman that we read a lot about was Kathy O'Brien, and, you know, she was put to sleep for, what was it, 86 No, days? that was uh, Linda McDonald. Oh, Linda McDonald. Okay. Yeah, she was put into a drug-induced coma for 86 days in um, Allen Memorial Hospital Yes, or in something? Canada. It Allen was in Memorial. Canada. It was mm-hmm. in Montreal. She went in for depression. Um, she was a mom. She's having regular issues. She went in for depression. And they put her in what they call the sleep room, which is where they put these things, put these people to do these tests on them. And these tests were done by this doctor named Dr. Ewan Cameron. I think that's how you say his name. Ewan? Ewan. Ewan? Yes. Um, who was paid by the CIA. The CIA paid Dr. Ewan Cameron. Um, so he took these people that would come into Allen Memorial Institute um, in Montreal and do these tests on them. He put certain patients in these sleep rooms, and Linda McDonald was one of them. So she comes in, you know, depression, just minor depression, and she wants to be treated, and they put her in this sleep room, and they start uh, putting her through these massive, massive electrical tests. They, they shock her um, multiple times a day. I mean, for several days on end, they ended up putting her in a drug-induced coma for 86 days um, and put her through so much what they called electrical shock therapy. But they called which, it depatterning. Their thought process at the, uh, that they claim, which none of this, let's be clear. Yeah, none, none of this, this makes any sense. None of it had to do with therapy. No. They That's were what not, said. They called electroshock yes. therapy, but it is not therapy. It was torture. It was torture, it was. and they weren't doing it for the purpose of making this woman better. They were using her as a guinea pig to find out how successfully how successful they could be in totally erasing right. a human being their stages were they wanted to erase what people had in their minds and then reprogram something else into it and then you know have them leaving there not knowing that any of it had happened right um so she left there um 86 days later she was returned to her family and her brain was uh, essentially fried it was completely mush she couldn't talk she didn't know how to use the bathroom she didn't remember her family um, she describes it as like having never been in the world before um, she said that it was like being a baby born into the world again she knew nothing her brain was completely mush and uh, obviously she somewhat recovered because she did interviews about this um, and I do believe she was one of the people who sued and ended up getting a settlement in the 90s? Yeah, it wasn't until the 90s. And uh, 1992, some of the victims of the Canada um, experiments by, by Dr. Uh, Cameron, they eventually got a settlement of like $100,000 a piece. But the problem was that so many of the, the patients, their records were uh, sealed. So, in other words, a lo- somebody couldn't just go there and say, I want to know the names of all these people right. because of privacy reasons. Well, so, not only that, but uh, a majority of the MK Ultra documents were destroyed. Um, I don't remember what year it was. It was when Richard Helms became director of the CIA that he destroyed nearly all of the documents. So basically, all of the horrific things that we know about is, are just the documents that survived. Right. And there were so many. There were so many, many, many experiments conducted, and some of them were conducted at universities by people who were paid. The money was coming from the CIA, but they didn't necessarily know that the money was coming from the CIA they were just doctors who wanted to do experiments and they were given funding and and it was later discovered that it was through the CIA and then of course some of them were conducted in hidden uh, I think they called them black rooms or they were completely secret installations that were run by the CIA where the most horrific experiments took place and um, they people started to come started to go to the press with stories about checking into you know these places or having been put in an institution and having these things done to them without any consent or without any um, understanding of what was being done to them and they had horrible they would go into therapy years later the one guy couldn't sleep without medication he had repeated you know traumatic uh, nightmares constantly he had anxiety all the time so he went into therapy years later for that and in the process of therapy, you know, came out that he, he was one of these, and you know, once so he many was a test subject. And of course, the first few people that probably came out with this, like I was experimented on by the government, they were like, "Oh, this is a crazy person, right?" Right, exactly. And they, they specifically target people like that 
vulnerable so that people. it would yeah vulnerable people so that it would seem like they were crazy um they targeted people in prisons yes. they targeted people in mental institutions who already you know weren't were disadvantaged yeah they, mm-hmm. they were already disabled they couldn't you know uh, fend for themselves um in, in one of these um later on i forget what year this was too i don't have it written down here it was the midnight climax operation midnight climax mm-hmm. Um, run by a man named George White, where the CIA had these safe houses and they hired prostitutes to lure men to these safe houses that were basically just hotel rooms. But they were all camered up. They had cameras everywhere. And they had uh, two-way glass. Mm -hmm. So the CIA would sit behind this two-way glass and watch as these prostitutes lured these men in um, and dosed them with LSD and then... um, just watched what happened basically and they recorded all of it mm-hmm. uh, because there you know there's two sides of that is that you know this is a situation where we can get somebody who's not gonna ever talk about this experience right because first of all we haven't recorded we can blackmail them with it right and secondly no one wants to admit to have seen a prostitute right so you know you're victimizing people by well you don't want to talk about what you did so you can't you know tell you can't mm-hmm. tell what we did um and that started in New York, but then moved on to San Francisco. And in one report, I read that it also happened in Chicago. But then um, they claimed that ended in 1963, but there were reports that they continued to do it mm-hmm. afterwards. But it wasn't even just that. They ended up expanding that uh, to where they would send people in, and they were dosing people in bars and restaurants. Sure. and I mean, thousands of people right. were exposed to this. It's said that the uh, – it's funny because when you look back at – what was going on in society at that time. Yeah, let's go back to that. So 1953 was when Alan Dulles signed off on MK Ultra. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let's go back to where that came from and where some of these people came from. Right. So Alan Dulles um, worked for a law firm called uh, Cromwell. What was the first name of it? Uh, Sullivan and Cromwell. Him and his brother worked for Sullivan and Cromwell. And this was prior to World War II. Um, it was after it was after World War One. And so they were working in Germany after World War One and Germany, you know, had to pay reparations for the war. So they had a lot of experience with corporations trying to help corporations to not have to pay, you know, uh, what they owed. And they also were, you know, involved in antitrust, trying to keep corporations from having to buy to they basically were protecting corporations from any kind of law that would infringe upon them. So they got involved in trying to help Germany pay the war reparations by getting loans. And they knew a lot of people, a lot of really, really heavy-duty business people in America. Um, so they cu- were kind of like a conduit to helping Germany get money to pay the war reparations. And then, of course, these corporations would get paid back in interest or anybody who loaned the German government money got paid back in interest. So he, they were kind of like, you know, these brokers. And in the process, they met a lot of interesting people. Um, Foster Dulles was like pretty much an open Nazi lover. Uh, he just was very fond of Nazis. And Alan Dulles, from what I gather, uh, also admired the Nazis, but was smart enough to know not to broadcast yeah. in public. He knew better. And uh, I've read several books he where knew it, it talks wasn't palatable, about, so right. But like Foster was apparently just open, just open lover of Nazis. So after World War II was over, uh, Alan Dulles was involved in trying to help a lot of the Nazis escape prosecution for war crimes, like Project Paperclip. Yeah, Operation Paperclip. Oh we, yeah, Operation Paperclip. Yeah. Sorry where we got a lot of the Nazi scientists uh, to come and work for the U.S. Supposedly under the auspices of, well, we don't want them working for somebody else. Right. There's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of different information about this that I find, I don't know, just doesn't seem to add up right. Seems like a convenient out um, because first they say, oh, well, you know, Operation Paperclip, we don't want those people working for somebody else and then you know some things you read about mk ultra here about mk ultra is that uh you know they started this because of the cold war and we were just you know trying to catch up to what the soviets were doing right, and right, we right. had to do this all in protection of the soviets and it's like well which was it i mean how far back were you planning you know because even just right after 
right. World War II. Like, barely, World War II is barely even over. Right. And they're doing Project Bluebird. They're already working right. on it. So the whole idea that they literally only did this because the Soviets were already doing it right. is kind of bullshit. And I don't know how we can look at World War II and all of the horrific things that the Nazis did to people mm-hmm. um, and see through Operation Paperclip that we brought those people here right. and think that that's not the cause. I don't think the Soviets had anything to do with it. Maybe they were doing similar tests and maybe, you know, that that's that's what they're good out or whatever. But you're never going to convince me that those, basically, that those Nazi scientists weren't just like, hey, can we continue our research here? And America was like, yeah, fuck yeah, we're already protecting you and you're yeah, Nazis, right, so who right, cares? Right. And the other thing, too, is that when you look at the difference between, like, the capitalist model and the communist model, the... The United States, from its inception, has had these wealthy elite people who pretty much get what they want and run the country how they want to by owning the politicians. Still going on today, but back in the days, you know, the early, you know, robber baron days of the coal barons and steel barons, you know, it was out of control. There was no laws to stop people from just doing whatever they wanted. Uh, there wasn't, you know, like campaign finance violations. Like, hell no, you could just go in and, you know, hand out $1,000 bills and be like, hey, vote for me. I mean, there was nothing illegal about that. So our country was kind of founded on the whole idea of the supposed American dream, okay, and becoming rich, becoming one of these, you know, elite people. And, you know... The communists, obviously, had the opposite philosophy. And I personally feel like, and I know for a fact that a lot of elite people in elite circles and and people that were in charge of companies like the Ford Motor Company and Dow Chemical and a lot of other high, you know, extremely wealthy people, they thought the Nazis had it going on, man. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't surprise me that as soon as the war was over, it was almost like, now we can just lift the veil and be like, cool, be cool with the Nazis. Because there was a lot of anti-Semitism in the United States anyways. I mean, there was open anti-Semitism in the United States. At one point, there was a ship that came like along the coast and was like trying to disembark with some people that had fled Nazi Germany. And we were just like, no, no, like we don't want you here. And they ended up going back into Europe somewhere and disembarking and ended up you know, half the people on the ship ended up getting killed after that because we just were like, no, we don't want you here. I mean, there was a lot of anti-Semitism and a lot of pro-Nazi. It's hard for us now in this day and age to imagine that it was like openly okay to be super racist, pro-Nazi, and hating gays. Like, (laughs) that was like the world back then. I just, that's just crazy to me too because it's like so much time and energy and progress that was just destroyed you know all of that just just because people had differences like that that's the strangest thing for me to try to understand and I mean I, I was born in the 90s so it's like I've never really known you know even if even with gay people I know they've they have gained a lot of rights and come a long way since the 90s but that was even after Reagan and the whole AIDS thing so I mean I just feel like in my timeline there are discriminations but just nothing as huge as Mm -hmm. what the past is dealt with so it's just so hard for me to imagine like why people were just insane about just hating other people for their differences like it blows my mind I mean that's what I try to tell people all the time too and I won't dive off into this too far but when people say oh well slavery's over you know let it go and this and that and I'm like yeah okay so slavery might have ended that long ago but segregation like there are people who still have great grandparents and stuff that yeah, were a lot more about like, that is that slavery when as soon as slavery ended there was an entire system that was immediately thrown into effect to systematically discriminate against people of color it was like never i mean yeah the actual act of owning a human being was illegal now but like it wasn't like okay everything's like it is today no there was like a huge period of, of continued legal segregation and discrimination and that just went on and on and on so yeah i mean it's yeah, still going people, on today people still argue today um that you know we talk about a lot of these disenfranchised neighborhoods of black people and people of color and um people always want to write that off somehow like it's not directly related to that but you know they have proven that even men who served in the military and would come back and try to get va loans you know black men who had served 
that they wouldn't approve them in certain neighborhoods. Because right. even though segregation was over, they still didn't want blacks in their communities. Right. And it's like, how do you not clearly see that the banks, right. by not providing them loans in a certain area, created the separation of white neighborhoods and black exactly. neighborhoods, even after segregation was over. Yeah. And then they kept those people poor, and their schools poor, and their you know people uneducated. And it was, it was systematic oppression, even yes. after segregation was over. And I don't know why people think that just because it's, 34 years later that that doesn't still exist like you don't just dig it you don't just dig a city out of a hole that deep right in in a couple of decades like especially if you're not doing anything right to try to help it and one of the things i think is important and, and no matter what subject we're talking about like today we were talking we're talking about mk ultra but whether you're talking about wealth inequality or racial discrimination or gender discrimination whatever whatever subject you're on it all comes down to you know, a person with a problem, like an alcoholic, they can't really overcome their alcoholism as long as they're saying, I don't, I don't have a problem. And I feel like America is at a point right now where, you know, we've tried to make advances as far as saying, well, this is legally, this is not right and under the Constitution. We've tried to correct things based on the law and everything like that, and society has evolved and you know to some extent but the but to me the biggest problem is we we as a culture in the united states of america have not had our come to jesus moment i don't say that in a religious sense i say that in a sense that we have not acknowledged we have not come out and said like that we've done all these things right that's the biggest thing about it is it's still in school to this day you know uh the most horrific thing you'll ever hear about is the Holocaust and how America was the great savior in World War II, and that's it. Right. They don't talk about any of these, you know, well, we assassinated this person and this person, this person, and we did this, and we brought drugs here, and we, you know, neglected these people, and no, they don't talk about any of that. Right. I can remember, we talked about segregation in school for like three days. That was it. <laughs> that was it. And you notice, too, I mean, at least when I was in school, whenever they talked about, like, slavery, for example, they would talk about the Underground Railroad and how all these benevolent white people came to help. Right. That's all you <laughs> ever hear about is, oh, great white savior, great white knight. And it's like, all right, well, let's not talk about the suffering of all these people, which is the important part. Right. I mean, not that, not that it isn't important that those people who did something right at a time when they could have been crucified for, that's very important. And that is a lesson that people should take you know, just like when we when we did learn about the Holocaust and they say, you know, the people who were committing these crimes were following the law and the people who harbored the Jews were breaking the law and the law is not, you know, right. morality. And I, that is an important message that needs to carry on. But if you do not know the history, you're doomed to repeat it. And if you don't understand that the suffering that these people went through, you know, where, it just where does people's compassion come from anymore if you don't learn from these things? Right. You know what I mean? I mean, and I'm not on the bandwagon of a lot of people who talk about, in this day and age, um, certain like reparations and things, I'm not exactly sure how that's expected to work and how you would trace that back or provide evidence that these families were involved in a lot of cases. So I don't know how I feel about all of that. But I do think that America, you're right, needs to admit, look, we did some seriously screwed up shit and now is the time to you know, you fix it. Confess it. it. You have Do to confess something. it. Like, I feel I like think we a need, like, people, a nation, national confession. I think like, a lot of people were really disappointed in Obama because they thought that he was going to be the symbol that was like, listen, America, you know, it's great that we have me, black president now, but this is a step, and we need to admit all the shit that we did wrong, and we need to start providing aid to some of these neighborhoods and this and that. And I just don't think enough was done. I mean, people talk about how, you know, Flint, and going without water and all that shit, and Obama did nothing about it, mm -hmm. and denied the aid and this and that. So I think people in that community, which I can't—I mean, obviously, I'm not black and I can't speak on uh, what their community faces, but I just think that, you know, this is one of those examples where I'm like, I have a platform and I'm just going to spit what I know, mm -hmm. which is history, and that's it. Um, but yeah, I just—I think you're right. America has never admitted its wrongs. Well, I think it has. It can be like a one-on-one -on -one thing too. Like I was, was talking to a gentleman one time, just in a casual conversation. Didn't know this guy, and uh, he he kind of mentioned that coming to West Virginia, he was surprised that people were nice because you know he'd heard what, what a racist area it was. is. We are predominantly white here, and there is a lot of there know, is a lot of racism. Crimes. But you know what I told him? As I said, I think 
the biggest problem with race relations is that white people have this fear that saying that you're sorry for the way another person, the experiences of another human being means you're taking, like it's your fault. Right. Because I hear white people say that all the time, well, it's not my fault that this happened to them or that happened to them. And I'm like, it's not about it being your fault. Right. That's like saying, well, I'm not going to say I'm sorry to someone who just had a relative die. Right. Because then it means I killed them. Like, no, right. that's not That's not how this that works. That is the best analogy. That's ever. not how any of this works. Right. Like, yeah, I think that all the time is, you know, you don't, you don't want to walk up to someone and be like, hey, I'm a white person and sorry, white people, you know, did this and that. But it's like, you can be a part of the solution by admitting that there's a problem. Right. Like, you know, and I, I think that all the time. You know, when I read these different articles from uh, black people, people of color about how, you know, white people's position in this is to just listen Mm -hmm. and to use their privilege to like open up about this conversation. Right. And I think, okay, then that's just what we need to do. Like listen to what their experience is since they're the ones who experience it and then view the information and, you know what I mean, fix the problem. Like I said, we have nothing but facts here about the segregation and the effects after and it's like, okay, these are just facts. They're telling you this is how they were affected. And we can see on paper, here it is, that they were discriminated against. So, like, let's fix it now. Like, and I'm not saying they haven't done a lot of things like passing laws where people can't be discriminated against with housing and stuff. I just think that specifically when we're talking about neighborhoods, that a lot of that has not changed yet. Right. You know, and, and it needs to. So, or about how I was just reading on Twitter the other day that still to this day, you know, a little white girl goes missing and the media is, like, obsessed. Like, they're making another John Bonet case, like, mm-hmm. just blowing it up. But, like, increasing numbers of black people are going missing, and, like, the media is quiet about it. Right. Or, like, no or uh, up, in, up in the Northwest and in Canada, it's a Native people. You know, if Native women come up missing all the time, and it's like there's not – this is just not even – there's there wasn't even anyone tracing how many women came up missing. Someone tried to do a study about how many Native women come up missing, and they're like, oh, we don't keep statistics. Yeah, that's awful. It's like they don't matter, you know what I mean? It's so, awful. But when, when we're talking about any of these things in history, and like I said, we're going to get back to the MK Ultra. Yes, it's all about people who are... In like, a position of power, yes. taking advantage of people who are disadvantaged. Right, exactly. Disenfranchised of, people. Right. I mean, that's if you see in any society, look at, look at present day right now and find the most disadvantaged people in our society, and I guarantee if you look hard enough... People. That they're being taken advantage of and exploited. Right. There's no doubt in my mind. Right. And it's 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 just incredibly sad. So yeah, the MK Ultra. Um, I think one of the reasons why it was so horrible is because we imported some Nazi scientists to continue. And these some of these experiments were started in Nazi concentration camps. I mean, it's it's widely known that they did a lot of horrible medical experiments on the people in the concentration camps and you know so to import import those type of if you want to call them doctors uh into our country and allow them to continue their quote work um is disgusting but that happened and um so they tried a variety of different methods to create these uh Jekyll and Hyde people and like uh, Juke was saying electroshock therapy. Now I know there's currently in use today electroshock therapy for for certain types of depression that doesn't respond to medication. This is not what they were doing. These were not like one brief jolt of electricity at a certain voltage. These were like extended shock to the point that people had spinal injuries and broke teeth. Yeah, they said that what they would do is basically turn it up to the max. And then shock these people over and over and over again until their bodies stopped convulsing. Yeah. So basically they're just destroying whatever nerve endings are causing your body to convulse as this electricity goes through you. They, ju- they just did it over and over until mm-hmm. that no longer happened. I mean, Straight yeah. Straight torture. Broke their teeth. Straight torture. Fried their brains. I mean, it's just, I can't even imagine. I, I just can't even imagine. I mean, I've, I've been shocked, you know. You ever have one of those... Uh, they, they put the pads on your skin, and it's for muscles. And you can, like, turn it up to, I forget what they're called. Yeah, it's yeah, It's, like, yeah. 0 to 10, and you can, like, basically shocks your muscles. It stimulates them. Um, it runs off of batteries, so you can imagine that the shock isn't, you know, excruciating or anything. 
But I remember one time my friend had one of those. His mom had one. And he put it on me, and he was like, I didn't know what it was. He jacks it all the way up, like, just, you know, messing around with me. And that shit hurt. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that runs off of a 9-volt battery. Now, I've never been tased, thank goodness. But it looks pretty horrifying. And I've been shocked with 110 to the point that my entire arm went numb. Not a pleasant experience. Yeah, so I can't so, imagine. No. I just can't imagine. And, uh, and, and not only that, but how did... It's just a whole question of morals in humans because how did all these doctors and nurses or any staff at this building that witnessed this happening not see it and be like, this, there's something wrong here? I mean, how, I get the times were different, but even a janitor mopping the hall, like how do you not see somebody clenching their jaw so tight they're breaking their teeth because they're electrocuting and then think, hey, this does not look like medicine. Well, like, let me let me go here for a second because what you have to realize is that in a situation in any situation in life where there's a, where there's a conflict of a moral conflict right and you want to stand up and say something about it there's societal pressures and there's there's a you know a certain amount of mind control brainwashing that goes on that's not this type of brainwashing but it's through propaganda indoctrination um, I watched a, talking about Nazis again, I watched a, a documentary called Corruption of Care, and it was about Nazi nurses and how they were instructed um, to understand that, every, first of all, when you lived in Nazi Germany, every single thing that you did from the time you woke up in the morning to the time you went to bed at night was for the state. You had no personal, any goals you had had to be based on what was good for the country, Okay. And these nurses were trained in the medical profession, first of all, to be obedient to doctors and that everything was for the state of Germany. So they told these nurses, and this was a very widely accepted thing back then, was eugenics, which was that through proper breeding and inhibiting people who had deficiencies, that you could create a better race, a healthier race of people. So if a child was born with some kind of defect, it was better for that child to just die at birth than to feed it and try to make the best of it because it's just sucking off of the rest of the state and the state has to be, the state has to come before an individual. So these nurses would poison the babies. And the woman who did this documentary, you can find it on YouTube, but it was called Corruption of Care. She went and talked to these nurses to find out how is it that they didn't, object that they didn't say this is wrong like you know why are we killing these little babies and the nurses she said in their mind were would say that you know when they gave the babies the quote medicine that they would hold them and rock them because so they think it's a mercy killing yes and they felt a lot of them now i'm sure there were people who had moral objections to it who just complied because they felt like there was something wrong with them it's the whole gaslighting thing of propaganda that if you're told something over and over and over again and you try to speak up to it or it bothers you but everybody else around you is saying that it's fine there's something wrong with you that people can be gaslighted into thinking that maybe there is something wrong with me this really shouldn't bother me until enough people stand up you know and that's why I think All of us in society today, talking amongst ourselves, bringing issues out, saying things, you know, that we see and observe in society that aren't right, we're not going to put up with it, and calling out stuff like this that's happened in history and understanding why it happened. Just like you see all these people on TV, politicians today, dog whistling about racist bullshit, and they'll say something racist. Okay, and then they backpedal and they go, well, that's you're misinterpreting it. That's not what I meant. But my thing is, yeah, it is what you meant. But you're trying to play the balance between I'm still trying to be in politics and I know I can't be an outright grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan and still be elected as a senator. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to dog whistle to people who are racist and then come back and apologize for it. But by that time, the people that are racist already heard me. They already know. That I'm that I'm with them, and that kind of bullshit has been going on now for the at least the last since 2016. We got a president that does it. We got all kind of politicians that do it. And then when you stand up and say 
it's wrong, they try to gaslight you. Oh no, that's not what I meant. Don't let these people gaslight you because it's just an MK Ultra on a smaller scale. They're just trying to manipulate your mind, trying to use propaganda and try to pressure all of us into thinking there's something wrong with us. No, there's not something wrong with us. There's something wrong with the system. The system's broken. We need to take control of it. But I do have to warn you, you have to be careful if you have an attack of conscience because one of the people we ran across in our studies of MKUltra was uh, Frank Olson, who was originally involved in biological warfare. He was trying to develop different types of weaponry like aerosol, anthrax, and What's stuff. What's in the CIA? He was, he was a member of the CIA. Yeah. So uh, he got an attack of conscience and decided, listen, I don't really want to kill people with germs. It doesn't sound like a good job anymore. Not, I don't want to get out. And he was suffering some anxiety, paranoia, kind of had a nervous breakdown over the whole thing. So um, the CIA sent him to a psychiatric facility for help. Well, and you know what the craziest thing about this is, too, is that before this happened, they went on this little retreat. Um, I think it was in Maryland. Mm-hmm. They went Deep out to Creek this, Lake. Yeah, Deep Creek Lake, right? So a couple of these CIA guys, they didn't list all of them, but I know that one of them was the Sidney... Uh, Goatlieb. Goatlieb, yeah. Sidney Goatlieb, who was uh, like the head man of MK Ultra. He was, he like, was the, like the chemical guy. He made all the drugs, synthesized all the drugs. And, right. Yeah. He was like main guy up there. And he was buddies with... Uh, Frank Olson. Frank Olson, yeah. Mm -hmm. He was buddies with them. They worked together, CIA, blah, 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 blah. Different projects, but they worked together nonetheless. So, you know, he trusted him. And they all go up to this retreat, this cabin, and there was supposedly two bottles of liquor in which um, the Sydney guy pours all these glasses, but he actually pours this guy a different glass, and he's dosing him. He dosed him with LSD and possibly other drugs, um, which... They don't know. He may have been doing all along. Mm-hmm. Maybe this was the first time. But it was very, very shortly after this mm-hmm. that he suddenly had an attack of conscience, which is funny that, you know, the CIA tried to use LSD to, like, brainwash people and really all they did was, like, <laughs> Well, if you stop and think minds, about it. Like, if you stop and think about it. Okay, this guy's manufacturing biological weapons. The first inkling they get that he's uncomfortable right. with what he's doing. Maybe he's they maybe they want to find out how uncomfortable he is. So maybe they were dosing him to try to get a, a bead on, like, is this guy just a little bit bothered or is he going to go out and tell people what he did? Right, exactly. Um, I wholeheartedly believe that. But um, then his soon after paranoia, um, I wouldn't say his paranoia at all. I think he just knew how the CIA worked and started figuring out that he talked too much he about how uncomfortable he was. Yeah, and he talked too much. Um, because, I mean, they, they say paranoia, but he really wasn't. You know what they say about they, paranoia. They really were doing Just things because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Right, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, they, they were. They were dosing him. His friend that he worked with, his co-worker, was dosing him this entire time. So I wouldn't say that that's paranoia. He just he right. caught on. And, you know, after his death, after he, well, let's go to how he died. Yes. So he went to New York to be treated by a psychiatrist. And while he was in New York, he uh, bailed out of a 10-story window to his death, uh, allegedly. And um, some people think he had some help out the window. His family did. And, uh, and not only that, but as soon as, you know, from the time that his body hit the ground until he was buried in the ground, they took his body. And his family was not allowed to see him. And they told the family that his body was so destroyed and that they didn't want them to have to see that and blah, 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 all these excuses. The family never saw him again. They were never allowed to mm-hmm. see his body. So they just had to take their word for it that, you know, he, he was jumped out of a building and his body was so destroyed. that That's it. Mm-hmm. They weren't ever allowed. Mm-hmm. It was nothing after that. So, I mean, it's just, that just adds to the suspicion of it. Is, sure. You know, they just take it. But then later on, um, his body was exhumed. Mm-hmm. And when they did the autopsy on it then, or I guess, I don't know if you'd call it an autopsy, they examined it again mm-hmm. after it was dug up, and they were like, yeah, that's not what happened. <laughs> um, he had other injuries that suggested that there was some kind of fight. Blood force trauma yeah, before, bef- the, before fall. the fall. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, maybe he was dead before he even hit the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so their story just started unraveling from right. there. 
Well, and the the widow, I saw the, his widow um, in one of the documentaries I watched, and she was saying that Sidney Godliab came to her to offer his condolences, and she said that in retrospect, she thought that he was really there to see how much she knew if her husband had ever talked to her about what he was doing or if he had expressed any doubts or suspicions to her. So, you know, she, but she, in retrospect, but at the time she just thought he was a nice guy, friend of Frank's coming to offer condolences. And she said she was so angry when she found out that he was the one that administered LSD to him, you know, and could possibly have been involved in his death. But that's, that's what happens when people do try to get out of the system. You know, these, these are ruthless people we're talking about here. And another victim we wanted to mention, uh, well, we did mention her briefly earlier, was Kathy O'Brien. And she uh, went on to make some, some allegations that one of the areas of MK Ultra involved the abuse of children and that they were... Um, abusing children, giving them also LSD, electroshock, and that they were sexually abusing these children to traumatize them into having this type of Jekyll Hyde personality that they thought that severe trauma was what caused people to have split personality. And given that they were trying to create that, uh, they called it the monarch effect, that they could create these two, you know, you're a caterpillar and then you become a butterfly. I guess that's part of, through the trauma, you become this monarch. And you have this ability to switch back and forth between personalities. And um, I don't know that there's documentation that's been uncovered that fully substantiates what she's saying. But I think there were some recently released documents that lend to the credibility. We know that they did do experiments on children. Yeah, there was also um, some claims that I read, which I haven't been able to find any reliable sources to back it up. So at this point, it's just still a claim. Um, But it was said that they had recorded government officials sexually abusing these children. Um, And part of doing that was so that the CIA basically would have blackmail against these government officials to ensure that they would always have funding for these programs. Well, and that makes total sense because, you know, I've always said from the very beginning about uh, Epstein that I think that he was just a crafty guy in the beginning who figured out that if he talked with people about their perversions and found the ones that he could, you know, kind of talk into, hey, you know, how about these young girls or whatever, that he could basically get them on tape because, you know, you can only get so much money, the, you know, the honest way. But if you can blackmail people, you have a certain kind of power that's worth, like if you're already dealing with a bunch of rich people, they've already got money. Right, and I don't understand what it is, I mean, if part of becoming rich is just immediately like wanting to become a pedophile, then I, God, I don't ever want to be rich. I, I don't understand what it is about all these elite people. I mean, celebrities and, and sports athletes and, mm-hmm. I mean, politicians and all, all these elite people that have all this money that just end up being like these rampant pedophiles. And may, maybe you just see it there because they end up getting away with it for so well, long. Well, I think that is part of it. I don't think that it's being rich that causes them to be you know i think absolute power has the potential to corrupt people and so if you feel like you cannot ever be held accountable which obviously look what happened with epstein he got off you know with a, with a complete ridiculous sweetheart deal um so they kind of they kind of know that if that is in them to to have those kind of you know d- drives that they can get away with it um and what she was saying, what O'Brien was saying, was that they were trying also with these children to, to teach them to be seductive, to try and use them like little spies to seduce people in positions of power into doing things with them so that they could blackmail them. So, and given all the things that have come out with Epstein and the fact that he was involved in intelligence work and everything else, I I don't find it that big of a stretch really to think that this is just another weapon to them that they can use to control people. Cause it's all about having that next piece to checkmate somebody. So, uh, and then lastly, we were going to cover how this came out. Yeah. I'd like to know too about this project Monarch where all those children ended up. Yeah, maybe we can do a follow-up on that and see if we can find more information about that specifically. Because MKUltra, what did you say? There was like 160 different programs that spawned uh, out the, of it. One of the videos that I watched, which again, um, 
is from a verified person, but I, I've just, you know what I mean? I always want to I like to do my own resource, mm-hmm. my own research on it. Um, so I only have this from one resource on YouTube, but he said that there were 149 different sub, you know, uh, right. These, these sub, what programs. do they call them? Sub programs yeah. of MK ultra. And that at least six of them, they could prove all of the participants were in involuntary. They involuntary. They did not agree to it. They didn't consent to it. But a lot of that I questioned too, because like I said, a lot of the MK Ultra documents, the majority of them were destroyed. Um, and we also found that a lot of these people were told, uh, "Hey, yeah, you're volunteering for this, but uh, we're trying to find a cure for the flu." And then they're actually like dripping sarin nerve agent on them. Right. So. Um, well, one of the doctors I saw that was interviewed, um, he he admitted that he didn't tell the he didn't tell the patient they were getting LSD. He said we told them they were getting some medicine. Right. So even the voluntary people were not actually volunteers right. because they, they had no idea what they were volunteering for. Exactly. Um, but yeah, they had a lot of these little sub projects, and uh, the one the most horrendous one that we talked about with Doctor uh, Ewan Cameron or. Um, that was called Subproject 68. That's the one that most people know about. Um, and that was like in the 50s and 60s. And then um, there was Project 54, Subproject 54, which apparently was supposed to be conducted in the Navy or by the Navy and is said to have never gone through and never happened. But then in later documents where they had doctors testifying, um, some of the things that the doctor was saying sounded specifically like the tests that they were supposed to do during subproject 54. So there isn't any necessarily hard proof that it absolutely did happen even though they said it did never go through, but based on what he said they were they were pretty sure yeah this is definitely right out of the playbook of what we were supposed to do on subproject 54. And what they were doing was using these suboral frequencies and these blasts to cause concussions. They were basically trying to cause concussions in different ways. Um, some kind of, you know, and this whole mind control scheme. Um, and at one point, the doctor said uh, that they were using radio and electro- electromagnetic signals um, to put monkeys and different animals to sleep. And that if they put the pulses too strong or too frequent, that they essentially just cooked their brains. Um, which they did. I mean, mm-hmm. they, 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 cooked, they cooked animal brains with these, these radio and electromagnetic signals. Um, so that's what the doctor was talking about. But again, they you know, refer back to subproject 54, and they're like, that sounds a lot like what they were trying to do then. So could be related. And then we also talked about the Midnight Climax. So that was just like um, the main one, and then one of the ones that you know, they said didn't happen but could have, and then uh, Midnight Climax. But there's several more. It's just a lot of the information... Um, which you can find the CIA documents that have been declassified, but a lot of it has been redacted. A lot mm. of it has been blacked out, so you can't, you know, see certain informations of people's names. And I skimmed through like 900 pages of these documents from the CIA website today, and a lot of it was just like payments. Um, there wasn't a lot of like real information there. Yeah, it's thousands and thousands and thousands of documents. Yeah, I think the so. whole thing is like. 20,000 pages or something so I mean there's just so much yeah and so there is a huge amount of information but as far as how it all ended up coming out becoming declassified kind of started uh with a guy by the name of John Vance in 1963 and he worked for the uh inspector general which is supposed to be like the watchdog of you know organizations and he found out about MKUltra and reviewed some of the documents on the experiments that were being done and reported back that it was highly unethical and that it should be stopped. And so I think it was curtailed then, but I don't think it was completely stopped because there's some evidence that went on after 1963. But then uh, in the late 70s, as a result of John Vance kind of bringing it to light like later it it came out um, in the Senate they did a the Senate Intelligence Committee did a a series of hearings on all kinds of unethical things criminal things that the government was involved in this included the CIA the FBI the NSA they were the NSA was massive surveillance on people opening everybody's mail taking everybody's 
uh, phone conversations was all was being recorded. Lines were being tapped. The FBI was keeping secret files on everybody, uh, sometimes for personal corrupt reasons and uh, political reasons, political enemies. And then you had the CIA doing all of these crazy, unethical, horrible experiments on people. So it was kind of like our, our entire government from like the 50s and to the 70s was <laughs> just like the, just out of control, totally out of control. And then if you go on YouTube, you can watch some of the church committee, they call it the church committee, some of their questioning of these people involved in this stuff. And they, Which the church committee was just a branch off of the um, committee that uh, Vice President Rockefeller started, I think back in, um, remember, hold on, let me get my notes. <laughs> um, it was the Senate Committee on Intelligence. Yeah, so in 1974, uh, the Rockefeller Commission formed. Okay. And this uh, church committee... Church committee spawned off from that. Yes, okay. yes. And there were like two other ones as well. Mm -hmm. I was just, just reading about this on YouTube like five seconds ago. Um, but that's where they all spawned from. Was he came in and was like, right. so there were like wrong. There like, were like people coming out in the media because if you go back and in, in in the CIA files, there are actually like if ABC did a story on it or any newspaper ran an article saying someone was reporting that they had been experimented on, they have that in their files. Right, right. <laughs> so they were like tracking what other people were out there saying. Um, so people were reporting stuff, and then also the lawsuit that was in Canada was actually a civil lawsuit against um, the university up there. Yeah, which they still didn't want to admit that the institute had done anything wrong. Right. They still didn't want to be like, okay, yeah, that was wrong. And their records are still sealed yeah. because there are other people who have tried to get those records, and they're still sealed. So it's an ongoing battle, but the bottom line is we always have to be on top of our government. We always have to be watching what they're doing, digging in there. Uh, thank goodness for the Freedom of Information Act so that we can request documents and uh, try to keep our government in check because it's like an out of control. It's like the biggest criminal enterprise on the face of the planet is the government. It almost makes me want to be an anarchist. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I went through that phase. <laughs> and I realized that, like, no system is also not the way to go because there's a lot of really corrupt people that thrive off of that environment as well. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know why it's so hard to just not be a piece of flaming garbage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, there's a theory that, you know, people that work their way up are people who have, it's like the Devil Wears Prada, the theme there in the movie is that, you know, you only get as high up on the ladder as you're willing to step on other people. Yeah. And put yourself first. So sociopathic people tend to re re go up high in corporations quickly. And I, there was a study actually done over in England to try to find people who'd be really excellent in the stock market. And they found out there was like a link between being a sociopath and being really good in the stock market because you literally don't care if other people lose their money. <laughs> and they were actually looking... For sociopaths to be investors. Because that's crazy, but. Well, that's about all I have on MK Ultra. All right. And I did forget this at the beginning, so I'm going to mention it now uh, as far as an update on the impeachment business. Um, all I can tell you is to keep searching Lev Parnas and Iger Freeman. These are the two guys that were Giuliani's cohorts who were indicted for. Um, funneling money through uh, a shell company and giving donations to all kind of Republicans, including Trump, because when Lev Parnas was arrested, and I'd just been Googling his name to see whatever comes up, and the Independent ran a story, which is a UK newspaper, nobody here was reporting about this, but when he was arrested, he had 18 or so electronic devices on him, which he claims have conversations on them between President Trump and Rudy Giuliani. And he wants to cooperate fully with the impeachment inquiry. Yeah. Big yikes. And like CNN, nothing. Not the peep. I found an article in Rolling Stone and like one other thing, place that had, was even talking about this. And like to me, that's where the story is. Follow the money. 
keep your eye on left parnas hygrophorum and that's where you're going to find out what's going to happen with yeah if you guys want to hear more about that whole background we talked extensively about that in episode three because this is the fifth episode right yes. and then last week we did conspiracy so definitely episode three we talked a lot about uh ukraine and all ukraine that and the impeachments and yeah so if you want a little bit more detail on that go back and check out episode three but uh is that all you got mick that's it man all right, so as always, you guys can get at us on Twitter at Project99Cast. Um, give us some different topics you'd like to hear about. Let us know. Give us some feedback. Always looking for feedback. Um, but uh, we thank you for listening to us. And I don't know what we're doing next week yet. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe we'll get some uh, tips. We were going to do like political and hi- political one week and history one week and then conspiracy and kind of toss up on the last week. But I kind of feel like political history and conspiracy, like you can't talk about any one of them together. They do. Like you can't, like if we could do a conspiracy every week and it would somehow also be political and history. Yeah, it's true. We'll just see what comes up. If anybody makes any suggestions, we'll we'll definitely take a note of it. Yes. So you can find us anywhere. You guys listen to your podcast. We're on iTunes. Uh, We are on Spotify. We're on Anchor. Basically anywhere you want to listen, you can find us. Just search Project 99. But uh, we'll see you next week. This is Juke signing off. And this is Nick signing off. My nakes, there will be times when all the things she said will fill your head. You won't forget her. And in her eyes, you see nothing. No sign of love behind the tears cried for no one. A love that should have lasted years.